Before we get into our text today, I just want to make a, uh, a little Christian worldview comment on a week where uh, it's a big week for our country. Every election is a big deal for our country. And so I just want to say that Tuesday's election is a great opportunity for Christians to practice biblical citizenship. And to note that we are called in the Bible to work for the good of our country, much like Daniel, who worked for the good of Babylon in the time that he was there. And it seems to me that as Christians living in a representative democracy, at the very least, this would mean that we vote in elections. And I want to encourage you to practice biblical citizenship And the privilege that you have living in a representative democracy by Tuesday going out and actually voting. Biblical citizenship includes uh, praying for our leaders, paying our taxes, and serving the community. And so I just want to exhort our congregation to be biblical citizens on Tuesday and every other day of the year. And to pray for the peace of our Jerusalem. You know, the Bible says in Proverbs 29.2, when the righteous thrive, the people rejoice. When the wicked rule, the people groan. Let's pray our future is more thriving and rejoicing than groaning by God establishing righteous political leadership over us. End of comment. You get it? All right. Well, last week we spent time studying 1 Corinthians 13.5 and one word in the ESV translation, resentful. Love is not resentful. Also translated, love keeps no record of wrongs. And the response to last week's message was huge. In fact, I'd have to think about a message that I've given where I've gotten more comments, questions, just general response than last week's message. And I know that there are a lot of questions that are still out there about what does that mean and how does that apply to my particular situation? More questions than we can answer. So I just want to point you to a couple resources that may be of assistance. One is this book uh, by Chris Bronze entitled Unpacking Forgiveness, a very helpful book. And it deals with the question, what do I do when the other person isn't wanting to be a part of this reconciliation? Or what do I do if there's no way that I can reconcile? Do I forgive unconditionally? Do I just forgive no matter what? This book deals with this. And uh, we had it for sale in the bookstore. If there was one, it was probably taken by those Saturday night people. Uh, so... I will have a link on my blog to an Amazon link to this that if you'd like to, uh, if you'd like to purchase it, along with a few other resources that I think might be helpful. Chris, by the way, will be speaking here at Bethel next summer, and so maybe he'll answer all our questions then. Uh, so check these things out. Okay, check them out. Today we are in verse 6, and this is what it says. Love does not rejoice at wrongdoing but rejoices with the truth. 1 Corinthians 13, 6. Love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Now, as we look at the verse, 
it's not hard to take it apart because it's, there's just two clauses in it. And in both clauses, there is a word that is repeated. And what is the word class that is repeated? It was very unconvincing. <laughs> Let me say it again. Love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Class, what's the word that's repeated? Okay, there you go. Now you got it. I'm glad. And so it is, it turns on that concept that there are some things that love doesn't get happy about. In fact, it gets sad about. And there are other things that love gets glad about. And that's just basically how I'm taking it apart. What does love get sad about? What does love get glad about? Let's talk about first the sad. The first clause in that, love does not rejoice in wrongdoing. Now, the word there in the Greek means this, unrighteousness, injustice. It's speaking of anything that is contrary to the truth, contrary to goodness, contrary to God's will. Love does not delight in anything that is contrary to what God delights in or what God's will is. No happiness in that. Our definition of love that we've been going back to again and again, love is self-giving for the good and joy of another. Love is the death of self. Love, love is for the other person. So it would be contrary to this kind of love if the other person suffers the consequences of wrongdoing, goes through a trial, experiences a failure or a defeat, suffers some negative thing in their life, it would be contrary to a love that is self-giving for the good and joy of another for that love to be happy in the other person's failure. That wouldn't be love, would it? And what we find here, and this is one of the most interesting parts of this entire description of love, because we see here the wisdom of the Holy Spirit and the truth that the Word of God cuts us like a sword. Here the Word of God is opening up one of the nasty, ugly qualities of the sinful human heart. Namely, the inward delight that we can feel in the downfall of somebody else. Know what I'm talking about there? Now, sit very stoically and don't act like you, just act like you have no idea what I'm talking about because you're all just lily white, I know, so pure, all of you. But what I'm talking about here is something that I have to believe all of us understand. That sense of savoring and delighting in the failures of others, especially if it is somebody that is a peer or somebody that is an opponent, or somebody that is a competitor, or somebody that is a critic, or somebody that we think that they think that they're better than we are. When they go down inside, (sighs) yeah. Pride loves to see other people fail. It gloats, it chortles. It snickers, it mocks, it savors their failings. And pride doesn't stop there, does it? We have that inward delight in their failure, but what what do we want to do? We want to talk to other people about that person's failures. 
And so we go to them and we say, can you believe that person right there? And did you hear what happened and all the rest? And it doesn't stop there. Pride not only talks to itself about the other person's failures, talks to other people about the other person's failures, but the quintessential moment for pride is when I can point out to them their failure. So I talk to myself, I talk to other people, and I talk to them about their shortcomings and about their weaknesses and about their failures. Pride loves to do that vitriolic in it imagine tuesday night after the election i have to believe there will be a little bit of gloating that'll be going on back and forth amongst the political parties that's the world that we live in agape love could not be any more different than that love does not rejoice in wrongdoing it doesn't it doesn't get happy about it 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 doesn't savor it it doesn't sense a victory in it Because love is for the other person. Love wants success in their life. Love wants them to to do well. Love wants them to progress spiritually. Love wants them to be happy. Love wants them to be rejoicing. That's love. Love has no envy, we saw that earlier, of their reputation or their position or their progression in sanctification. I'm not envious of that. So I don't have to feel any competition with you over where where you have come. So when you succeed, I'm glad. When you fail, I'm sad. That's love. So therefore, when others fall into temptation or when their humanity is on display in some negative way, love hurts for them. Pride does the opposite. Pride says things like this, well, 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 it would seem the chickens have come home to roost. Pride says, did you hear about so-and-so, Mr. Big Shot, Mr. Righteousness? Did you hear about him? You don't say. Do tell, go on. That's terrible. Tell me more. What is that? That is sin. That is the sinful human heart doing what it does, savoring the failures of others. And the reason that pride does this is that pride is competitive. Pride is always measuring itself against other people, their status, their reputation, how well-behaved their children are, how people in the church view them, how they think that they think that they are. All of these things are being calculated and measured, and pride hates it when somebody seems to be a little bit more than them. Therefore, when they go down in some way, pride sees it as their gain. Their loss is pride's gain. I must not be so bad. Look what he did. Look what she did. Look what happened to him. Look how her kids turned out. Look what a mess their marriage is. And they call themselves Christians. Members at Bethel Church. Ha. Okay, sit there very stoically, just like you are. You have no idea what I'm talking about, I'm sure. These are, uh, these are the Saturday night people that we're talking about. <laughs> and the best word that I've come up with to describe this is the word gloat. Love doesn't gloat 
Barclay says this, Christian love has none of that human malice which finds pleasure in hearing unpleasant things about other people. Friends, this is why gossip and slander are so contrary to the gospel and really should have no part in our church. Think of this. If we just fulfilled this one little verse, if we didn't rejoice in wrongdoing, how would gossip ever happen amongst God's people? Because nobody would take any pleasure in it. Nobody would take any delight in it. So therefore, I don't want to talk about it and I don't want to hear it. Just this truth alone. No more gossip in the church. No more slandering of anybody in the church. Why doesn't love rejoice in wrongdoing? Here's why. Because God is love and God doesn't rejoice in wrongdoing. Can I say it again? God is love. And God doesn't rejoice in wrongdoing. God takes no pleasure in our failures. He takes no pleasure in our defeats. God is for us. In fact, here's one of the encouragements in this passage is to realize that this is not just love. This is the God of heaven who right now is looking down at you and he's not cheering against you. He is not somehow, oh, he fell this week. I love that. No, he wants us to succeed. He gets happy in our successes, does not delight in our failures. And of course, he wants to help us, and he did through Jesus Christ. So whenever you hear of somebody else's failures, or whenever you observe some person's humanity there on display, I would encourage you to check your heart. Is there a little bit of delight in that somehow? A little bit of happiness? A little bit of savoring of it? Am I glad or am I sad? Do I feel vindicated or do I hurt with them? Do I want to help them? Do I want to cheer for them? Do I want to come to their aid? In fact, let me ask this question. In God's eyes, what do you suppose is a worse sin? The actual failure or other Christians gloating over it? I'll just let that sit out there. Love has things that make it sad. Wrongdoing makes it, they, they, it, it, it empathizes, it identifies, it wants to help, it doesn't delight in it. That's the first clause, okay? Now, you could say, well, I came to church to be inspired today, and that's a little depressing. Indeed it is, but that's not the end of the verse. Love doesn't gloat, here's the title of my message, love doesn't gloat, but it will dance. It will dance. And that's the second part of the verse. Love doesn't rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. So there are things that love gets sad about, and there are things that love gets happy about. And what it gets happy about is here described as truth. Now, I think what helps understand what this is saying is if we play off the wrongdoing and you add the word doing to truth. Love doesn't delight in wrongdoing, things that are inconsistent with God's will, things that are not pleasing to him, unrighteousness. Love dances over truth doings when it sees people living out God's truth, fulfilling God's will, living in obedience. That's what it gets happy in. Love delights in it. Barnett says this, love does not seek to make itself distinctive by tracking down and pointing out what is wrong. Rather, it gladly sinks its own identity to rejoice with others at what is right. Notice this, this first part of this, this little quote here. 
It's basically talking about a kind of pettiness, a kind of hypercritical spirit that wants to explore, to be a detective, to fish out every single wrong and negative thing about everybody, to have their radar on hypersensitivity, to see anything that might not be God's will in other people. That's pride. Pride loves to discover those things. Love has a kind of graciousness about it. Love has a kind of magnanimousness about it. Love, love has a heart for people, and it, it measures people not in terms of their failures, but in terms of their potential and their successes, and gets happy about that, delights in that. One of the, one of my, my little phrases that I'll repeat often is, all is yellow to the jaundiced eye. All is yellow to the jaundiced eye. And the reason I like that is because it's so true, isn't it? Once we get a negative eye towards somebody, you know, the evil eye, once we get the evil eye towards somebody, now everything that they do is bad. All is yellow to the jaundiced eye. And we want to put them in a category and want to put them in a box. And now we can't see anything good in them. Everything they do is suspect. That's how pride operates. But agape love is the reverse of that. Love sees people as redeemable. Love believes in people. We're going to see that in a moment. Believes all things, the definition says. Has a certain kind of hope in people. A kind of, a kind of for themness that hangs in there with them and celebrates any progressions in godliness in spite of obvious failures, which everybody has. Now, this doesn't mean that we're blind or naive about people, but it means that love seeks their best. And when it sees that accomplished in them, does the happy dance over it. And it seems to me that if we get what love is here, that we would be sad more and we would be glad more. We would be sad in people's failures and we would be glad in people's success. There are way too many people that are glad in people's failures and sad in people's success. Which are you? Which are you? If we asked your family and we asked your friends and the people that you, that you work with, are you somebody who is sad in people's failures and glad in their successes? That's love. That's being for other people. That is self-giving for the good and joy of another. Love doesn't gloat, but it will dance. So, towards the goal of promoting this kind of, this dimension of love, let's talk about how to get there. Okay? How do we, how do we animate God's love, which we've received by faith through the gospel, epitomized in Christ? How do we animate that in our lives and in our relationships? I have a few, I have a few suggestions here. Number one, and these would be really good to write down. Number one, and I thank CJ Mahaney for helping me with this particular point. We need to get good at identifying evidences of grace in people's lives. To cultivate an eye that sees evidences of God at work in people's life. Now, the reason that this is true is that we are inclined by our sin nature to not do that. 
I don't have to teach a, a, I don't have to do a message on how to identify negatives in people's life. Okay, we're like all PhDs in that, are we not? Some of you right now are going, he's a bad preacher. <laughs> My point exactly. Look how good you are. That wasn't funny. Another example. He's going long. Third. Can I stop now? You see what I'm saying? All these negative thoughts, they just come so easily to us. But thinking good about people and learning to identify evidences that God is at work in their life so that I can get happy over them, now this is something that requires some work. I find it helpful to think about people as persons. If I go back to my love, all is yellow to the jaundiced eye. Once we see negative in people or once we get a negative eye towards people and we put them in the box, basically what we're wanting to do is we want to dehumanize them. Because if we see them as people, we can't shoot them. But if we can dehumanize them, then I can speak any manner of evil against them. But if I realize that this is a person who is the object of God's love that Jesus died for and that has a story. We all have a story here. All of us had a mother who, who held us and, and, and cuddled us and, 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 and hopefully had a father as well who, who, who prayed over us and dreamt what we might become and maybe had Sunday school teachers and neighbors and family members who poured into our lives and all of us have endured suffering and all of us are working and doing the best that we can. And when we recognize that this person that I'm viewing with a jaundiced eye and I think has got a lot of negatives, way more than positives, what I'm doing is I am, I am maximizing their negatives and I am minimizing their positives. Love does the opposite of that. Love minimizes in my thinking their negatives and maximizes their positives because I see them as a redemptive person. Somebody that God is doing a work in their life. I remember a woman who was mostly known for her critical spirit. And I remember the day when I had the opportunity to see pictures of her when she was a teenager and when she got married and, and just to see the look on her face and just the joy and the happiness. And, you know, she was, she was young and vibrant and had dreams and was looking forward to things. She was, she was more than her critical spirit. She's a person. And all of us are. All of us have a story. So love, love has a certain kind of stretchiness to it where it can, it can hang with the negatives while it seeks to maximize the positives and to augment them and encourage them. Kistemacher says this, one of the characteristics of love is the constant attempt to discover good and praiseworthy thoughts and deeds in a person. Some people, they want to dig around for They want to get the dirt. Oh, so tell me about your college days. Fraternity. Mm. What was that like? Did you participate in any of those things? Really? Were you a Christian then? Hmm. Do the elders know about this? I mean, they're they're just in there digging for something. They want something that in their heart they can go, Aha, I am better than you. I knew it. 
or I've, this is when I'm told that people are this way. <laughs> You're like, wow, he really understands that. Well, has he read a book? No, I am a sinner. <laughs> That's how I know this. Okay. Stay stoic. <laughs> stay stoic. I don't want any of you to admit that you have any idea what I'm talking about. So, here's what I'm saying. is to, to cultivate an eye that is looking for evidences that God is doing things in their life. And get happy about that. Dance about that. Rejoice in that. With all the energy that your flesh wants to rejoice in the negatives. Rejoice in the positive. That's love. That's love. Now, here's the thing. Basically, what I'm saying here is we want to beat pride at its own game. Pride wants to dwell on the negatives, think a lot about those, talk to other people about that person's negative, and looks forward to the day when it can confront the person and say, you're this way. Okay, we want to beat pride at its game by doing all the same things with the positive. Spend time identifying evidences of grace. Spend time thinking about that in that person's life. Next, go to other people and talk to them about evidences of grace that you see in their other person's life. Now, I said that completely badly. But you know what I'm saying? Go to other people and talk about how good they are. Go to other people and praise God for their testimony. Go to other people and say, you know what so-and-so did? What a blessing that was. Do that. Now, why do I say do that? Because it takes humility to talk to other people about how great somebody else is. Pride doesn't want to do that. Pride can't do that because pride wants to elevate one person. Who's that? Me. So when I elevate somebody else by talking to somebody else about how great somebody else is, that was completely confusing as well. That was bad. See, okay, there's number four example. Um, Are you with me? Come on now. Let's have a good time here. I'll just assume it's conviction that's quieting you. Um, When we go to the other person and we talk to them about about somebody else, what we are doing is we we are killing pride in our own heart. We're battling it. You know, we have lots of words for speaking evil against other people behind their back. Gossip, slander, backbiting. You probably could come up with others. But as I was putting this together, I thought, okay, what's the word for talking good about somebody behind their back? I don't think we even have one, do we? <laughs> what's the word? Which I think is evidence that the, the bad happens all the time. We've never had to come up with a word for the good. I say at Bethel Church, let's make it common that we're talking about other people and what we see the good in them okay number three tell the person of your joy in their truth doing tell the person here's ephesians 4 do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen it's not up there I'm keeping no record of wrongs. Uh, (laughs) What we see here is that our words have an ability to build people up. 
For sure they can tear people down. We all know that experience. But our words can build people up. And love, you know, from the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, Jesus says. When you have love here, it comes out here for God and for people. Go to them and say, listen, I just got to say, the other day when I saw you doing such and such and such, I remember you when you were a boy and I thought that kid's never going to amount to anything. But to see what you are, what you've become and to see how you've, it's just, it's fantastic and it blesses my heart. I praise God for what God is doing in your life. There's a man in our church, I will tell you who it is. Almost every Sunday, he comes up to me with tears flowing down his cheeks. And he says, Pastor Steve, I just got to tell you what a blessing you are in my life. I am so thankful. I mean, just tears flowing. I feel bad because I'm like, this is so over the top. But okay. (laughs) That guy is, I call him my Barnabas. I mean, he is a son of encouragement. He just loves to pour out words that build people up. That's love, okay? Think about their strengths. Tell them about their strengths. Tell them how you appreciate them. Give the idea that you are for them. And here's what happens. If you, if you, if you parents, if you, if you see your kids and they're doing something wrong and you laugh at it, or you in some way affirm it, oh, oh, look at little Johnny, look what he's doing. You know what you're doing? You're establishing that as a character quality in his life. But the same is true with the godly characteristics. When somebody comes to you and says, you know what, I think you have the gift of service. And that thing that you did was such a blessing to me. I just want to tell you, I praise God for what he's doing in your life. Next time there's a service opportunity, guess who's the first to sign up? I'll do it. I'll do it. Why? Because look at the blessing. It's to others and to me. Praise God for what he's doing in my life. We establish these character qualities in one another. And this is part of what it means to be in community and to love one another. When Jesus said, by their love, uh, by your love will the world know that you are my disciples, what did he mean by that? How we're all ooey-gooey with each other and, oh, we hug and hold hands and all the rest? No. It's the practical, we can do that too, but it's the practical Caring for one another and using words towards one another that build each other up. The world sees the way that we do that. They don't get that out there. How many people are getting that in the workplace or in their family or whatever? Not very many. But in the church, this ought to be a place where we are rejoicing in truth doing. And we're going to one another and to other people and talking about how great it is to see God at work in our lives. That is love. I was talking with the staff about this, and, and they're like, oh, you got to talk about marriage and how this relates to marriage. And I'm like, I don't know. Okay, but it does for sure if you think about it. How many marriages, even in our church, sadly, are in the tank because the spouses have long since forgotten why they got married in the first place, and over time, all they see is the wrongdoings. And all they talk about is the wrongdoings. And they harp and they nag and on and on it goes with the wrongdoings. That is not love. Love doesn't delight in doing that. Love doesn't harp on that. Love rejoices in the truth doings. Spouses, when was the last time that you intentionally went to your spouse and said, listen, I got to say, I see you every day. And here's a quality that I just, it's flowering. I love it. Your spouse might fall over dead if you did it. (laughs) 
You say, well, I don't, I don't know what I would say. I don't know what kind of things I should talk about. Here's some, here's some suggestions. Go to the fruit of the Spirit and those qualities of the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience. You can put that up now. Uh, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. How about those as, as kind of categories? Honey, I just got to say that I, I know I was late and I know that I've been kind of dragging. And I've, and, but your patience, man, it's wonderful. I know it's hard for you, but I just love that. I mean, just little things like that. What a difference it makes. Or how about praiseworthy Christian virtues? Like sacrifice, service, perseverance, humility, generosity, purity, honesty, wisdom, loyalty, modesty, integrity, and on and on you could go. Go to one another and say, I, I, I see this in your life. And it's fantastic. It makes me so happy. Talk like that. What a difference it could make. Romans twelve fifteen: rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. That is love. Okay, so right now, here's what we're going to do. We're going to raise those lights just a little bit. And I, I know that many of you are sitting next to a family member, a friend, a spouse. Some of you maybe are here all alone, so you can just kind of think about what you would do if you had a friend next to you. Um, but right now, I want you, if you are sitting next to somebody that you know, to practice exactly what I'm talking about. Identify an evidence of grace and tell them about how happy you are to see that in their life and why. Here's the, here's the evidence. Here's why I see it and in some way that it makes, makes you happy. So we got the list up there, okay? And right now, I'm asking you to be thinking about that person because you're going to do this, like right now. Okay? So let us love one another for a moment or two here. Done so soon? Ran out of material already? (laughs) Keep going. Step out on a limb and maybe pick like a second one. I mean, get crazy with it here. I wish he would move on. I'm out of material already.
okay. Now, I have to think, I have to believe that the last two minutes in some way changed a little bit the vibe between you and whoever you were talking with. Anybody really discouraged by this? I mean, just like, oh, man, that was a bummer. I hope he never does that again. No. It's encouraging. And I'll bet the one thing that whoever it is that said that to you, you might walk out of here going, oh, well, maybe I need to do a little more of that. See how that works? Love doesn't gloat. Okay, we're not going to have it spend. Okay, now, and now let's point out all the negatives that we can think of and why we're happy to see it. We're not going to do that. Love doesn't do that. Love rejoices in the truth doings. So may God build that up in us. And let's just make a commitment to try to practice that more, okay? Practice that more. That God's love might be more evident in our church. That'd be a good thing. Amen. Father, we pray that you would establish agape love in each one of our hearts. We thank you for the picture of it in Christ dying on a cross for us. Lord, help us to increasingly die to ourselves and to live for you and to live for others' joy, that by giving what we want, we might get what we want. And may you derive glory from it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.